Welcome to Leadership for Startups, where we help entrepreneurs and leaders build businesses that grow and flourish. My name is Toyo Shinbi, your host. Welcome to episode 18. My guest today is Nick Frost. Nick is the co-founder of CRMG. He has been involved in cybersecurity for over 20 years. Prior to starting his own business, he has led leadership roles in PricewaterhouseCoopers. He has started his first company in 2015 and has just started CRMG in 2018 with a colleague. He has three boys. He's a big Liverpool supporter. Well, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. I like the introduction. <laughs> well, let's sort of get this uh, concern that some people might have out of the way. Uh, being a big Liverpool supporter <laughs> might uh, cause some struggles. Yeah. So, um, I mean, how big would you describe yourself as a Liverpool fan? Well, I'm, I must admit, I'm uh, now that they're sort of top of the league and they're doing well, obviously, I'm, uh, I'm one of the biggest <laughs> supporters in the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've always, I've always been a Liverpool supporter, but uh, yeah, the, the, the season is a is a great one, and uh, it's, it's a great one to be a Liverpool supporter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's just uh, sort of disclosure that I'm sure even if you are not a Liverpool fan, I'm sure there's a lot of advice that we can take from Nick today. So, so <laughs> grateful to have you on today's um, podcast. Um, so let's sort of start off with a bit of a background. How did you uh, end yeah. up where you are today? Um, well, I suppose that's a good question. I think um, if I go back to, I suppose I started my career in a totally different field to cybersecurity. Um, my background is geophysics, so I worked for an old company for four or five years, um, spending a lot of time you know, trying to locate oil and gas around the North Sea and other parts of the world. And um, the company I worked for at the time, um, a company called Schlumberger, they set up a joint venture with another company to, uh, this is in the late 90s, to provide internet services, as it was called back then. And uh, the first project I had was actually a, uh, what was probably called IT security then. I don't even think the term cybersecurity existed. Um, and that was that was really my entry into into this whole field, which you know even back then was was really all about firewalls and uh, intrusion detection systems, and uh, you know it was really real sort of pioneering stuff at the time. So that was the uh, that was the first sort of you know step in into the field of uh, of uh, cybersecurity. Hmm. And obviously, you've uh, led different leadership roles within large organizations, and now you own your own company. So what would you say is the difference between being a leader in a large organization, such as you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and then running your own company? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think, the, I think when, you're, when you're in a, a leadership role in, in a big company, um, you do have, well, look, I mean, there's pros and cons. You do have an element of, of comfort. You know, you've got, uh, there's a lot of support mechanisms in place uh, when you're in a large company, um, such as PwC. Um, and I think also, you know, I've, I've got a lot of great things, I've got a great experience at PwC. And I think fundamental to, you know, to a lot of people in, in, in any role in PwC is you get, you get a lot of, of, of very good training. 
Um, and, you know, they invest heavily in, in training, you know, whether you're in a technical role, when you're in a managerial leadership role, whatever it may be. Um, and so, you know, I, I was quite fortunate in many ways that, um, you know, that I'd had a lot of that sort of formal training, if you like, that could then, you know, then transfer quite easily over to, to running your own company. However, you know, running your own company comes, <laughs> comes with a, with a whole range of different sort of, uh, you know, rewards and challenges. Um, so I, I would say that the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest differentiator in terms of a leadership role is that when you're running your own company, you know, the level of responsibility you have is, you know, it's far greater than, than when you're working for an organization. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but it's, but it really is true. Um, so that, I, that to me would be the big, the big differences. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll explore a bit more about that, but maybe you can also give us some insight into, you know, talk us about how you went about starting your own venture and maybe why you wanted to start your own business. Yeah, sure. I think, um, I think to be honest with you, Tway, I'd always wanted to, you know, to, to see what it was like to, to run your own company. Um, and you know, the time for me, you in 2015 was definitely the right time to do that for a number of reasons. Um, I think also that I, I had sort of been in information security for, as you say, 15, 20 years by then. So there was a, you know, you reach a point where you, you know, you're never going to know everything, but you feel quite comfortable with what you've learned, what you've experienced, both, you know, both from a technical side of, um, you know, both from a technical side, but also, you know, managing projects, managing clients, all of those kind of things. So um, for me, the timing was right. And I started off, um, as I say, running, running initially my own company. Um, and uh, that started to grow very quickly. Um, I'd worked with uh, a colleague of mine, uh, the other co-founder, Simon Rycroft. Um, and it was just a really good, natural fit to, for Simon and I then to create our own company called CRMG. Um, and, and that was that was a really good, um, I think, really good decision both of us have made because the company itself, CRMG, over the sort of two years or nearly two years it's it's been in existence, you know, it has grown very quickly. And quite often, I mean, you know, everyone's different, but quite often you, you know, finding somebody you can bounce ideas off who's got a, you know, an equal level of commitment involved. Uh, it's important because, you know, with a successful company, it's great when you see it grow and it's great when you see more business coming through. But at some point, you've got to scale up and, you you know, you're going to face, you know, greater rewards and at some points greater risks. And you've got to try and manage that uh, between both of you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as you know, you know, we will have a lot of our audience will be either in the same situation where they're just about starting off and um so what were some of the risks that you had to factor in, in in making this decision yeah i think um well i think in terms of uh i suppose in, in terms of uh, the company growing i think you know ultimately your company is going to be heavily defined by you know both you know the leaders if you like or directors myself and son but also the people that you're you know you're bringing on board so, and that's where sometimes the, the challenge can, can lie because you're under a lot of pressure to, you know, to bring on uh, people to, you know, deliver a particular project, a particular service. 
Um, but ultimately, you've got to find the right people in what can often be quite a short period of time. So, um, you know, so that that's that's a challenge any organisation would face. It's certainly a challenge that um, you know that we've seen in the early days. Um, and it's like everything, you know, you get far better at it. You know, you become more selective, and you've got a good idea about. Um, you know the types of people you want to to bring on board, um, and I think yeah, ultimately we, Simon, myself, and, and other, you know, other members of the team are getting better at identifying you know the right people, and I think I think you know any any sort of advice that's probably I suppose one of the key factors that I've learned about about people is you know number one understanding whether you're bringing on the person that you think is going to create the right chemistry both within the team and with the client. Um, technical skills, absolutely essential. You've got to have someone who's going to, you know, have a real good focus and knowledge of the subject. Secondly, um, has a commitment to delivering quality. Quality is something that's absolutely vital for, for us at CRMG. Um, and then thirdly, you know, is, is this individual going to, you know, a, is going to be able to create that, that right sort of uh, chemistry with, uh, with the client? Um, you know, and there are lots of, you know, we can probably explore what, what that chemistry piece actually means because there really is quite a lot to it um, that, uh, that we often just, you know, we just accept as a, as a normal part of doing business, but it's, it's fundamental. Yeah, yes. So um, I guess what might be coming to some people's minds is um, starting a business. The first thing you need customers and <laughs> yes, you haven't got a business. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, how was it for you? Are you able to sort of talk us through the process yeah, sure. you went through? I mean, for instance, were you funded or, or was there some kind of cushion that you had? You had some money so that you weren't under any kind of pressure initially. I mean, what, what was the situation for you sure. in, in the very beginning? Yeah, sure. No, we we've not uh, we've not had any funding, um, no investments at all. Um, we've basically um, formulated, uh, I suppose you say, partnerships. Um, we have some partnerships with um, with some, with, with organisations that um, I mean, one is called the ISF, the Information Security Forum. It's, it's probably the leading. Uh, Forum organization for developing best practice in information security. It's very well, very well respected and regarded. So we work very closely with them, with their consulting uh, partner. Um, we've also established partnerships with uh, Compute, Computer Futures and S3, and of course, um, a company called Galvanize. So it's, it's all on our website. But these are organizations that, you know, that are known as, as, as leaders in their particular fields. Um, and I think also, you know, th these are organizations that, that are highly regarded. And quite often there is a, you know, there's a nice synergy that, uh, that we've created with them and also with, with their particular clients. So the way it really worked was, you know, it started off with, um, well, started off really with the Information Security Forum who develop and create a lot of this leading uh, best practice in information security. And um, and the, a lot of their their members, uh, their clients, um, wanted to have you know uh, individuals, qualified individuals, to be able to implement this. So that's really where uh, this came from. And uh, we became the consultancy partner to implement um, a lot of their uh, their products and uh, 
frameworks that they produce. Um, you know, and that naturally has, has grown over the, the few years we've been doing this. Um, and uh, and with with companies like Galvanize, for example, they're a, a known GRC vendor and they have a huge number of clients. Um, and ultimately, a lot of those have consultancy needs as well. So um, so you know that that sort of uh, that that sort of working relationship we have we have with these organisations does start to create some you know some great opportunities. Mm, so partnership. I mean, um, it's interesting because. Uh, uh, I can see that it's very easy to get on well with you. I mean, we've started to speak for about two months now. Um, yeah. Were there any particular skills that you either had to develop or utilize that, that you weren't using when you were working for PwC, for instance, or in the, you know, in the bigger firm that as a, as an entrepreneur that you had to sort of utilize in creating these partnerships yeah i i, I yeah that, that's um yes there are i think um <laughs> i think at heart i've probably always been a bit sort of entrepreneurial and um mm. you know i i say that in the sense that if i see see an opportunity i tend to sort of you know uh, tend to sort of run towards it um, um you know in some of these big organizations don't get me wrong they do they do nurture that entrepreneurial spirit but there's always a there's always a sort of uh you know there's always that sort Red of tape yeah there's always that counterbalance yeah whatever you want to call exactly, it exactly yeah. um and so you know that uh, and for the right reasons because you know they ultimately yeah, yeah. Their, their, their game is really you know an organization of that size you, you mm. you're talking about an element of managing, you know, business risk. So, mm. Um, mm. but, um, but to your particular point, I think the, you know, the skill set there um, was was more about releasing a skill set that had been maybe sort of tempered slightly. Um, okay. And then, of course, when you start your own company, um, you know, yes, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of freedom you have, um, but at the same time. You know, you've got to make uh, you've got to make your time count because, you know, you're uh, you you don't have we didn't you know we didn't have funding for example we didn't you know didn't necessarily need it we were lucky in the sense that we got off to a great start with these partnerships, um, you know, and uh, we we were able to sort of you know maximise you know, the work that was coming through from these partnerships. Mm. So are you able to put some kind of name on that skill set or names? Well, I think if I if I take a look at uh, I suppose both the skill set that that I have and Simon has Simon Rycroft, the co-founder, I think it's important that uh, you know that we that we consider that joint skill set. Um, yeah, certainly mine is mine is very much um, I love to try and solve problems. Uh, that that's that's really what I get a buzz off. Um, you know, and I can quite often go into organisations um, and and just get a sense, diagnose the issue that that they're facing. And quite often, it's not always the immediate issue you're you know the client's telling you. I think that's one of the key things about you know coming up with a solution is you know it's often it's often worth spending eight percent of your time figuring out the problem, um, and then you know the solution sometimes not always but sometimes you know naturally materialises. So for me, the skill set that I think uh, you know is is key um, that that I bring to the table is the desire to you know to solve problems and to come up with innovative solutions that 
you know, that make practical sense. There's a clear logic um, because at some point, you know, either your client's got to understand it or your client's boss has got to understand it. So it's really important to be able to articulate that in, in whatever way you need to. Um, and I think, you know, from, 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 so that's, you know, that's one of the skill sets that I think I bring to CRMG. You know, Simon definitely has the, you know, the business acumen. Um, he's, you know, he's done a lot of the work I've done, but, you know, he's, he's very much got the, uh, the focus on understanding, um, and looking at the, the strategy for CRMG, um, and, uh, you know, and, and looking at how we, how we can better coordinate, um, a lot of the jobs, a lot of the partnerships, um, and really, you know, both of us looking at where CRMG is going into the future. Hmm. It's a bit of a strategic and then, um, the relational yeah. problem solving. Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly it. Um, you know, and it, and then, you know, one of the nice things I think that, you know, hand on heart can say is that, you know, 99% of the times, you know, we were able to, you know, we get a lot of repeat work as well from the clients. Um, and that's, that's really nice because, you know, th- th- there is a balance though. I think it's important that you, you know, you, you can get sometimes you can get a bit too close to the client where and i think that's you know it's important to note that you still always have to remind yourself you're in that advisory capacity um uh, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to create a point where at some point you have to disagree or you've got to deliver some bad news and you know ultimately that becomes far harder um you know, if you've sort of strayed into the, the friendship, if you like, with the clients. Um, so that's, you know, that's an important feature to consider. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we try to encourage is, um, first of all, an understanding of the selling sort of process is long term. Uh, and so you got to mm. consider that you want it to be a long lasting relationship so they can lead to repeat business. Yeah, uh, and I think that's in a way that's what you're saying. It's more of a consultative, um, what's called a trusted advisor. Yeah, kind of exactly. Positioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, that's, that's exactly um, it. And I think you know, um, I mean, it might sound a bit cliche, but you know, if we can try and if we can try and make our clients look good, um, you know, then that's that 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 really is fantastic. You know, if we if we've managed to you know improve the you know, the delivery of the project, uh, the perception of the security function, uh, personally improve, you know, uh, or take some headaches away, which is often the case, you know, um, that, that, that's exactly what we're, we're aiming to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, great to know. And it's easy, also, it's interesting to see how you're aware of your strengths and also your co-founder's strengths as well about how mm. important that is in terms of team building i guess it, it is it, it's 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 the right sort of you know it it definitely is if anyone is is looking at going into starting their own company um it you know don't get me wrong i would encourage everybody to to have a stab at it um and i'd also be encourage everybody to to you know, to be honest with themselves and say when it's not the right time for them to do it and to to do something different. If you're if you're going in with a you know with a, with with a partner or you know partners or co-founders, um, it's 
it's often a good idea to look at the either the blend of the skill sets because if you're both highly focused on you know solving problems or you know supporting sales or you know you're still going to need somebody who's able to deal with a lot of the business aspects and you know you're both going to have to make key business decisions um but it is it is an important you know feature that anyone should consider if you're looking at going into a partnership um you know just take a step back and look at what you think the skill sets are needed and and you know simply marry them up to what you can offer and also what what's really going to float your boat you know because there are certain certain things within CRMG I love to do and there are certain things I'm not that fussed about doing um, and luckily you know they're a sort of a different ends of the spectrum in terms of what I like to do sometimes and what uh, what my other co-founder likes to do uh, as well so mm. yes yes that's, that's that makes it easier doesn't it mm. okay that's brilliant yes okay so I want to talk about uh, vision so um Mm. I mean, from your perspective, uh, how important would you say having a clear vision is when starting a business? Mm. Uh, and if so, how, how maybe how have you gone about creating yours? Sure, sure. I mean, look, I'm going to be completely open. I think we we certainly had a clear vision for CRMG, I think, from day one. Um, you know, and that number one was to create, you know, create an ethical company that was going to really, you know, cut through um, a lot of the complexity uh, that security functions often face um, and home in on what we would say is a risk-based approach to security. Um, now, that that vision suddenly, if I'm honest, got got forgotten about, got you know, placed on pause for a bit because we went through a period of rapid growth, huge amounts of work, um, you know, and we probably the past six months are, you know, we've been revisiting that vision. So we're much clearer now about where, you know, where we're aiming to go. Um, we've established, uh, you know, two additional services in addition to providing consultancy services and they're maturing very nicely. Um, one is uh, providing a education and basically in a, a certified training course um, on the standard good practices, what the ISF provide. So in addition to consultancy, we're now driving a training program uh, across the world. And um, and the second one is working with uh, with Galvanize, a GRC vendor, to develop a, to develop best practice in helping to create. Uh, cyber risk assessment modules, cyber security assessment modules. So bringing all our sort of industry experience and expertise, if you like, and working with a working with a vendor to develop to develop these uh, these sort of modules and tools to help organisations assess risk. So, mm. so, so based on uh, your experience, then what's your opinion? Is is vision? static or is it flexible i mean what's your what's your opinion now that as you're evolving on this i think yeah i i would say i would say you have to have a you know you have to have the uh, a vision that fundamentally you've got a foundational vision but i think 
I think you're right. I think you have to consider uh, vision to be dynamic. Um, I'm not saying that our vision has changed at a high level. So if you look at the foundations in terms of what we set out, no, that's still going to be the same. You know, we're still aiming and we still always will aim to focus on um, fo- you know, focus on the principles, having an ethical approach, the way we do business, uh, ethical approach, the way we treat the clients, uh, ethical approach to the way we work with our own staff. That's really, really important. Um, and we're quite selective when we come to, you know, to choosing individuals to work for CRMG. But if you look at the the sort of dynamic aspects in terms of the vision, then yes, I mean, you could look at the vision from a, you know, service perspective. Um, so, you know, 12 months ago, we were primarily focused on providing consultancy. So, you know, and that focus really around the GRC space, the GRC, the governance, risk and compliance space. So focusing on policies, helping organizations comply, uh, you know, or align themselves much closer to, you know, industry standards, regulation, and helping organizations really understand what their what their cyber risk profile is as an organization. So though all of those you know, all of those aspects, we we were, you know, we we can, we know we've we've got a lot of experience. We've got a lot of good understanding around the processes, how to go about that. Um, and then in the past sort of six to eight months, you know, we've developed this training program, which is actually really really exciting. Um, it's the first of its kind. It's based on, uh, as I say, the uh, the ISS standard of practice, which is, you know, and I'm not just saying this; it is the leading. Uh, standard for information security out there, um, and the third part, if you like, the third area is is really getting involved with a leading GRC vendor to help them deliver industry strength tools for assessing risk to to organisations. Um, so some really exciting services we you know we've created in a pretty short period of time. Time, yeah, yeah, and it seems that. Um... So for what you just said that there you've gone through some significant growth mm. is that is that right Yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean yeah. I suppose two years and then, ago go on to it Yeah and then it's interesting that but with that growth it, it also sounds like there's been some challenges right so yeah. which you know is sort of like uh, counterintuitive right <laughs> Um yeah. so what would be what are some of the challenges that you've um you've you face in within the growth period yeah i think you know it's it's that that one of the key challenges i think that anybody will find is um i remember i remember quite clearly you know sitting back one one evening and speaking um with a couple of the team and you know we were all talking about isn't this great you know a lot of work coming through and then you wake up the next day and you think, right, <laughs> we've got to deliver this now. Um, you know, <laughs> Sounds this, like your prayer's been answered now. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> you've got a bloody problem. Yeah, that's it. And these are big, <laughs> I think the big organizations, so they expect, you know, mm. they expect you to be able to, to deliver, you know, in a very short period of time. And they expect you to have a team of people to deploy. And I know all this because, you know, having worked for one of the big four, that's, yeah, sure. That's what they can do. So, so you have those kind of challenges. That's when you've now got to accelerate and start to identify the people that you know are going to be absolutely qualified to deliver this. Um, and 
what this what this sometimes tends to do is it tends to it's all very exciting, but it tends to occupy a lot of your you know a lot of your own thinking. So um, one of the things that I would I would try and encourage any anybody who's you know who's building the business is it's absolutely critical if you can easier said than done, but absolutely critical to try and give yourself you know an element of downtime where you can um, or you can just start to you know, put things in perspective and get that sense of clarity around, you know, all parts of your business. Um, because, you know, sometimes you've got a project that, uh, you know, a number of projects that are all very exciting and high profile, and they will probably occupy more time than um, than they should. So you need to, you know, you need to try and balance that. Easier said than done. Mm. But, um, <laughs> so with this growth, I'm guessing you needed more hands on deck. So one of the, yeah. I guess one of the challenges that most <clears throat> entrepreneurs or leaders will face while they're scaling up is attracting, selecting, and hiring. Mm. Uh, I know you talked about chemistry earlier on, so maybe you can can you tell us maybe some of your own experience, good, bad, ugly, and what you've learned in all those situations. Yeah, certainly. I think um, you know. I think when you talk about um, let's talk about the chemistry piece first, because um, you know we we've got we tend to at the minute we tend to um, focus on uh, people that have been industry been in industry for you know quite some time. Um, I think the reason we we do so is that they've you know there's they've they've been around they've managed projects they've managed clients they've managed client expectations. They've managed teams, um, and you know they know the pitfalls when you're delivering risk assessments or, you know, a transformation project or a GDPR project. So, so that's great. We've got that skill set, and we've got the technical skill set, and we've got the soft skill set. That's great. Um, so that's one of the things that that certainly um, that certainly helped helped us in the short term. However, it doesn't get away from the fact that as you're scaling up. Um, there ultimately is going to be, you know, more and more of uh, of my time, more and more of uh, of Simon's time that gets used up. So at some point, you know, you've got to bring in that next layer, and that's a really important layer to bring in because you have to you have to appreciate that, uh, you know, the the individual you're bringing in is it may not think the way you think. Uh, not saying they're not going to deliver uh, as you know as well as, as as well as we want them to. Of course they will, but you know you have to you have to be quite selective about the individual that you bring in there because there's a you know there's there's a history of of uh, how we work with the team um, and you know this new individual is going to come in is going to have to uh, have to reestablish himself herself uh, with the rest of the team. Um, but we have to do it. There's no other way. You know, if you're going to scale up and we're going to, you know, we want to be more strategic in our thinking and on our approach to CRMG, both uh, both myself and, and uh, the other co-founder, Simon. So, you know, naturally, we have to uh, hand over some of this to, you know, to an equally qualified individual to be able to, to run with some of these projects. Mm. And so how would you... How have you got gone around uh, creating a culture? Because in a way, what you're saying there sounds more like this is how we do things, right? yeah. And but at the same time, 
you're hiring people that are well experienced. They've got their own their own way of doing things. So it'd be interesting to know, especially in your own unique situation. So how how are you developing a culture mm. when um, you already have people that will have their way of doing things? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that I I think one of the things that um, that I learned from uh, especially working um, at the uh, ISF, the Information Security Forum, was the was the importance of collaboration. Um, you know, we used to run some really, um, you know, deep thinking projects, which you would never be able to uh, deliver as an individual. You just can't. You know, you just there's no way you can come up with a, if you like, a new approach to assessing supply, you know, suppliers or looking at how you could comply to, you know to this piece of legislation, you have to work as a team. So the the good thing, I think, that uh, or the nice, uh, I suppose the nice thing about the culture we've established is very much a collaborative uh, approach. So, you know, every project is going to have two or more people working on it. That's one of the key things that we always do um, for a number of reasons. One, I, I would say that pretty much everybody in the team would prefer to work with another individual. Um, Yes, they know each other pretty well, um, but to have the right blend of people, you know, you could have somebody that's, um, you know, that's that's good with dealing with, uh, you know, with clients and managing projects, and you, uh, you know, doing the PMO stuff if you like, and you have somebody else that's 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 happy to, you know, to get involved in writing policies. That's not that's not a, you know, it's not a project for everybody. So. I think creating that culture and using people and, and understanding their strengths and their skill sets and what they like to do, you know, because what they what people like to do, it tends to be nine times out of ten, tend to be their skill, you know, their strengths. Um, so, you know, if you can spot the client and you can work out right which strengths, you know, would so and so be able to show and, and, and benefit from and. And what are the strengths do we need in there? Okay, so it, you know, it, it's a it's a big client. They have their way of working. We have to be fairly flexible. Then you start to create a really nice environment where people are delivering, they're feeling rewarded. It creates a nice vibe and culture. Um, so, so that's an important aspect, just to invest that time thinking about, you know, thinking about the client, but also thinking about, you know, the, the team to put forward. Um, I think the other thing that's important is that, and, you know, we have a number of events throughout the year um, where we all get together as a team and, you know, we spend quite a lot of time um, looking at projects, looking at what's worked well, what hasn't. And it's a really free, open, you know, environment. There's there's no naming and shaming or anything like that. Um, and that I've noticed over probably the past 12 months because CRMG has only been going for two years. But over the past 12 months, um, you know, that has nurtured um, some real transparency uh, amongst the team that I've not, I've not really seen before, um, you know, and that, that's great. I think when people start to show, you know, hey, look, um, you know, I'm a bit vulnerable on this part of this project, ring the bell, shout for help, fantastic, you know, great. We know when we, know when we need to jump in and we know who, who can help you and jump in. And, um, you know, and people like to help. You know, so if there is a project that you feel need to invest a bit more horsepower into it, fantastic. Nine times out of ten, people will want to help and, uh, and be able to 
you know, to muck in. So, um, mm, yes, it does create a good, uh, oh, good team so. culture. Mm. And um, when it comes to when it comes to you personally, um, any stories that you can share with our audience around challenges that you faced uh, while build, building your business? Crikey, yeah, it was quite. <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think I think ultimately the ones that we the the ones I personally found most challenging is um, is how do we um, how do we maintain this focus on on quality um, of deliverables? You know, it's it, it's I think the I think the and when I talk about quality of deliverables, let me just take a step back here. I mean, you know, I'm talking about everything. I'm not just talking about the end deliverable, the report. I'm talking about absolutely everything that goes into it. And we don't get it all right all the time, by the way. But you know, you've you've got to think about right. We've got a meeting with the client. Let's get an agenda because an agenda will set out the structure. You know, when you're sending off your first email, and it's not your first email, but, you know, all your other emails. emails. That's, that's just, <laughs> it may sound like micromanagement, but if you're clear about what the meeting's about, you've got an agenda, you know, this is not always something that organizations see, you know, big organizations, because, you know, they're, they're running at such a pace that, you know, it's some of the things that often get forgotten. So putting that in place creates an incredible level of confidence and assurance uh, between you and the client. So that gets you off to a good start. The trick, of course, is being able to maintain that, you know, even through times of, uh, of difficulty, because, you know, pretty much every project at some point, you know, by nature, will will face a challenge. No project runs, you know, runs smoothly all the time. Um, and you need to be able to, you know, reestablish and create that level of assurance. So when this problem arises, right, we've got to crawl all over that problem and we've got to work out what uh, what we're going to do to fix it as quickly as we can. Um, and, and that's, you know, that sometimes requires, you know, great focus, great quality and, uh, and again, structuring people's thinking about how we're going to, uh, to bring that, you know, bring that, bring, bring everything back into the norm. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 definitely makes um, a lot of sense. There's a putting processes in place, and then, but not not um, it's not um, legalistically. But this is just this is how we do things. I think that's I think yeah, I'm correct. That's what you're saying. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, you don't want to stifle creativity, and I've seen that with you know processes that are, that are just too over engineered. Um, I, I think it's just really a, a reminder you know, to the team, you know, that if you've got a meeting, you know, get an agenda in place, be clear about what you want to have, you know, have discussed at that meeting and have, you know, and, and sound slightly authoritative in the meeting, you know, what is, what is it we want to achieve? Um, because, you, you, you know, you have a limited amount of time to get, you know, multiple people focused on achieving one objective within 30 minutes or however long your meeting is. Um, but you have to get that. You have to get that because you know key decisions need to be made at the end of that meeting, so you can progress with your project. Yeah. Okay. And uh, still within this realm of challenges, um, a lot of times you know entrepreneurs find the work-life balance <laughs> sort yeah. of challenging. You've got three boys, so how have you na- navigated around this work-life balance? And any advice, maybe? 
even for our audience? Well, I, I, yeah, sure. I mean, look, I think the advice I would say is that it's, it, you know, it's okay if you're occasionally working seven days a week because, you know, that is going to happen. Um, the, the, you know, the trick is to carve out time uh, where you're doing nothing but something that allows you to switch off. Um, it goes back to a you know, points earlier that, you know, just having that, having that time to, you know, to, to reboot your brain and to, and switch off from work is absolutely essential because it's a bit like, you know, you know, how often can you, uh, you know, can you play your sort of, you know, your, your, your key players, you know, you can't, they've all, everyone's got to have, have time off because, you know, when they do have time off, they're refreshed, they come back, you know, and, and the reason I say that, is and it, and it goes. I suppose it goes back to you know some of the challenges that 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 I've I've faced and uh, and anyone with a company will face as well. Is that you know when you're re- when you're you know when you're feeling pretty fresh, you know you face some of these challenges. They're easy. You can deal with it. You know if you've been working seven days a week and you're feeling pretty stressed out, you could have a smallest challenge and it looks like Mount Everest in front of you. So you know it, it is it is important. I don't always do it. Um, uh, but you know i do try and uh try and you know build in some time whereby i'm just taking you know taking a day off long weekend you know they're simple things but you know they they do work they really do work yeah Um, that's interesting i was just reading a book uh today actually that was talking about it's called um the 5 a.m club and um it's uh yeah it's just talking about um a lot of entrepreneurs and many successful people they, they have a hobby that they can switch yeah. off um with yeah. you know Winston Churchill used to paint you know so many people that you find out wow when they get time to do that but actually it was um, switching off and going to a different gear yeah so no you're absolutely right you're absolutely yeah. right um so what would be your ultimate dream for the business well one of the, I mean I've got a couple of dreams for the business and I think Ultimately, you know, I want CRMG to be to be really recognised, not as like the biggest consultancy company, but to be recognised as the go-to place when you've got you know difficult, really difficult challenges around information security, information risk. Um, I want us to be recognised as an organisation um, that, I suppose, creates and creates an overwhelming level of confidence and assurance within, within our clients. Um, you know, we, we are working with clients who have very, you know, often pretty clear defined needs. Um, but also we're working with clients who are also under a, you know, a lot of pressure. So if we can make life better for those. Um, ultimately that's, yeah, that's, that's a real win-win for us. Um, and also create an organization where, you know, and I think we're doing this to some extent today, which is, which is, which is great, but create an organization where people, you know, want to actually come and work for you. Um, you know, we haven't advertised hugely, um, for, you know, for, uh, for resources. Um, words got around from our existing team and that's great. And they've, you know, they've helped spot some, some key individuals and um, obviously we use the likes of uh, computer futures who um, I've been hugely impressed by 
very, you know, as a recruitment company, I think they, they clearly understand our needs. Um, you know, they're fairly relaxed as well. They're not that pushy, which is great. You don't always feel you've got to give them something when they phone you up. Um, so that, you know, that ultimately, you know, the vision that Simon and I are trying to create is, you know, is an organization that's highly respected and creates a level of confidence across uh, businesses uh, to help address their cybersecurity issues. So that's the outgoing vision, if you like, and the internal vision, you know, is a an organization that, you know, that individuals not just feel proud to work for, but um, that really feel like they're going, you know, they've got skin in the game and making decisions and contribute to the success of the company. Um, and also, you know, part of this is, I think it's always really important. I think when you, when a company gets to a certain size, and unfortunately I do feel that this is what a lot of big organizations lose, not intentionally, but you know, it's just the nature of the beast is that if sometimes if you just took a step back and, and just think for, you know, what, what do I think? you know, this person would really like to do um, or, you know, you know, after you've, you've got to know them a bit and you think, right, that's a really good project for that person. You know, just to prioritise in that order um, because, you know, if you've got people that are really excited, you know, they're waking up in the morning, they're thinking about the project, they're buzzing about coming in and delivering the project, brilliant. You know, that that is that is a great result to have. And if you can create that culture, uh, within the organization, um, then, you know, that's, it just becomes a great place to work. Yes. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons for this podcast is all about hopefully educating more people that in the 21st century leadership is transitioning mm. into being, creating servant leaders, people who want to empower their staff, which which I'm sure you would know that in the 80s, that was kind of like never heard no, of. No, <laughs> right. No, that's, that's right. I mean, I remember, yeah, I think uh, I think observing other organizations, um, mm. yeah, that's right. It was all <laughs> it was all a bit too macho, which just like was completely pointless. But um, got Gordon Gecko, you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. yeah. So, I mean, so, so to hear this from you, to talk about creating meaningful work, that's exactly what I I, I see, you know. Um, mm. But it would be interesting to know what you think, what are your thoughts around future trends? Mm. You know, what do you think we should expect to see in the world with regards to business leadership, entrepreneurship mm. moving forward based, based on this? Well, I, I think, and I'm, I'm starting to see it more and more, um, and I would probably call this what I call situational leadership because, and, and what I mean by that is, you, you know, we all can, we can all be leaders, but we're often, you know, more effective at being leaders under certain conditions in a certain environment. You know, I know that I can share my leadership skills far greater when, uh, you know, when there's a, a, when there's a, when there's a problem, when there's something that needs to be solved. I'm probably not, you know, the greatest leader at and leading the team when things are running completely smoothly. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm looking for chaos all the time. I'm not, but, you know, <laughs> but there are people in the team that, you know, yeah. that can manage certain situations better than others. And I think that mm. is how I see 
I see a lot of recognition. I mean, I first used to hear about the situational leadership in, um, you know, in PwC when uh, with a lot of the training they used to provide is on leadership, um, and it's absolutely true. You know, you've you've got lots of, you know, lots of well-known individuals that have, have you know demonstrated leadership at certain times uh, with a conflict, whether there's humanitarian need, whatever it may be, um, but they're not leaders all the time. You can't be a leader all the time. It's just under certain situations. The trick when you're, you know, starting out with this company is knowing, you know, who to put in place to be able to to demonstrate that leadership. And it might be, you know, a couple of days, might be six months. But um, you know, you need to need to know who can uh, who's best to place at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's also what's uh, um, is changing the landscape of our organizations where it's no longer just a hierarchical kind of structure. Even some of the things that you've mentioned about your like away day, everybody can contribute, everybody can share honestly. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of leadership that I think we're going to see more of. I think forward. so. Yeah, I, th- I really think so. I think, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we can't be, CRMG can't be a completely flat structure as we grow and grow. We have to have, you know, people that can manage teams and people that, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them, you know, uh, different layers of management, whatever. But, you know, but what is important is, you know, it's being completely fair, being completely transparent, um, you know, but that ultimately that has to come from Simon and I, you know, we are the people that will set the tone for, for what kind of culture we want to create. Um, but I think going back to your original point about what, you know, what does leadership look like in the future? I do think it's, as you say, it's going to be, you know, much more collaborative. People are going to be more savvy about, you know, when to use certain individuals for certain situations. Um, you know, and that's, you know, if you, again, you go back to any, any sporting analogy, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly what Liverpool football team do. You know, <laughs> they, they, they look at the team they're facing and they think, right, we, we, you know, we need greater defenders, greater attackers, whatever it may mm. well be. Um, and that's mm. sometimes just the way, you know, organizations should play it as well. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as we begin to wrap up, obviously you're in the cyber security business. Mm. Um, and I'm guessing that uh, there are certain things that uh, businesses are not aware of. So maybe the question is, what would you want to share with businesses around this cyber security um, whole industry that many businesses are not aware of? That they should be. Mm. Well, I, I, yeah. So, I think it's absolutely vital for organisations today to at least consider what a major cyber attack would do to their organisation. Um, and when I talk about what a major cyber attack would do, they've got to think of it both in terms of, you know, uh, their operation. You know, are they able still to operate or operate, you know, at a very basic level? Uh, Their reputation, uh, the impact, you know, a major cyber attack or cyber security breach would have in terms of, you know, the regulators being involved. 
loss of competition. So you have to think of a cyber attack in a business sense. And I think that's one of the key things that, that you know, we try and do. I do believe we do it effectively, um, but it's one of the it's one of the most important aspects of cybersecurity is to be able to translate what a cyber, you know, uh, attack, uh, cyber risk would lead to uh, for the organization. And it's not always very easy because naturally everyone goes, well, how much is it going to cost? Well, you know, you can't always quantify how much, you know, negative media press would, would cost, you know, an organization. But, you know, you can guarantee that you're, you know, your marketing budget's going to go through the roof to try and repair some of the reputational damage that's occurred from the attack. Um, so, you know, and, and the other, I think the other aspect is, it's not always a bad thing to consider a state to compromise. And what I mean by that is, you know, getting senior individuals in a room and going through some kind of cyber scenario, you know, um, you've lost, you know, millions of records of personal data you know your uh, oil refineries have been impacted and as a result of that you know your ability to you know to produce whatever producing is reduced over three months by 30 percent you know all of these factors are unfortunately today are a reality you know you only have to look at you know some of those big names that have been impacted um by these cyber attacks and and it's not because they didn't take it seriously. Of course they did. In fact, some of these organizations I know very well have got, you know, good security in place. The challenge that we have is that the sophistication and capability of the cybersecurity threats today, unfortunately, it does exceed our ability, you know, to manage it. And that's why I think thinking about being in a state of compromise is actually a very healthy thing because it just helps you prepare your response help minimize impact um so um i don't want to sound like it's you know the the, the, the sky's falling in but you know we uh, you know naturally we're we're becoming you know and we're not becoming we already are hugely dependent on systems and those systems are often created at, at a pace and security is not always considered um because it's not it security doesn't always naturally provide a return on investment you know, it's it, it's it's what organisations throw lots of money at, but it's difficult to be able to to show the you know the value and benefits from that because you know what are you doing? You're you're effectively you're a bit like a goalkeeper. You know, you're, you're stopping things going, you know, getting past you, getting past into the organisation. Um, so you know, it's 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 a it's a challenge I think all all CISOs, heads of security will face. Is being able to articulate their their worth, um, but um, I think one of the things I have seen though, today is um, you know over the past few years, senior you know senior individuals, senior managers, they now get cybersecurity. You know they do understand, you know in most cases, um, you know the importance of cybersecurity. The trick now is to try and articulate that specifically to their business um mm. well and that's where you guys obviously come in to help with that we do yeah i mean a big part of what we do in in our offerings is we 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 have a number of uh activities and uh 
services whereby we help the organization understand what their threat landscape looks like and we can there we you know we can we can articulate pretty well in an objective manner you know who's likely to attack the organization and what types of techniques are they likely to use and that's really important because if you understand where the threat is and the types of tech types of threat techniques that be used that helps to target investment you know in certain areas of technology um, helps to sort of raise awareness on the things that really matter for staff um, you know we you know it's it's not an exact science and you never will have an exact science but if you go through an element of critical thinking about this and follow the processes that, that we use you know you will be able to remove a lot of the noise and home in on you know what those key key threats you have to focus on for you know minimizing cyber attacks wow. oh thank you that's uh, brilliant so um in terms of uh, if anybody's listening to this and you want to get in touch with uh, Nick, uh, you can contact him on uh, their website, which is crmg-consult.com. Um, this would be on the show notes for this podcast. Um, just a final question uh, in terms of um, advice for our audience, Nick. Uh, obviously, we've got entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs uh, people who are currently in their startup phase any final words of wisdom that you might want to just share with us yeah i think um i think you just gotta well i think there, there are a couple of things i think ultimately focusing on really what matters um for your clients um i think it's always very healthy to make sure that you get some good feedback because you know even when projects don't always go to plan. Um, it's a little bit like that saying of you learn it, you know, you learn everything from failure and nothing from success. Um, that's, you know, that that's that's really important. Just, you know, there will be projects that work fantastically well. Um, and you should celebrate those. And there'll be other projects that, you know, you look back on and think, oh, that didn't go so well. I wish we did a better job. Focus on those as well. Um, I think the key thing is though, you know, that running your own company starting your own company either yourself or with with partners it's hugely rewarding it's hard work um but i would encourage absolutely everybody to 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 give it a go i think there's so much you can learn from this wow well it's been a pleasure nick having you today on this podcast you've shared a lot of your wisdom all the things that you've uh, mentioned about uh, what I love about what you've talked about today is that you're trying to build an ethical company where people find their work meaningful. So that's in the internal part of your company, but also is to provide a service of excellence. And, yeah. um, you know, that's what I believe, you know, our cities, our countries, we need businesses that are flourishing in this way because they're adding value to society. People go to work knowing that they're doing something that's meaningful they are in an environment that's can, that's helping them to be who they need to be. And obviously the business itself is serving a greater purpose. So I really want to thank you no, for, thank you. Um, for participating today. No problem. You know, thank you very much. So uh, listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, and as I said, you can find Nick's contact details in the show notes at leadershipforstartups.com or any of the platforms that you're listening to this. This is Toyo Shinbi. First of all, I want to thank you again 
uh, Nick, for being on our show. Um, and I want to thank our listeners and uh, for me to your success and speak to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>